Howdy, I'm Paul Isaacoder, and this is Author's Dozen, a podcast where I explore barriers to storytelling by writing one novel every month for 12 months. Please enjoy. My life has gotten a little less mundane recently. I had an accident. There's a problem with that sentence. It doesn't give you the what, when, and why. Depending on the situation, even the I is questionable. Is this coming from the mouth of a tiny boy with a full diaper or a 29-year-old man with a totaled vehicle? It's the latter, by the way, which is in addition to computer snafus and medical setbacks, having me thinking I will probably be filling that diaper before too long. And have you noticed that 80% of this podcast is me making excuses for myself and 20% advice that's only useful for me? By the numbers of downloads, yes, you have. Today, I want to talk about principles of art. That is, what do all really blossoming art forms have in common? French poet... Jean Cactus once said, Film will only ever become an art when its materials are as inexpensive as pencil and paper. What he was getting at is pretty evident if you can get past the uh, accent. If you've seen a really exciting filmmaker, a game designer, an artist, it's even more evidenter. What he was getting at is that the expense of doing something is often correlated with the limits of that art form. Go to any mainstream ancient museum or whatever. Museum for ancient things, not an ancient museum. Anyway, what do most of those artworks done before, say, 1800 have in common? That's right. They're either for, by, or paid for by rich people. Art, until a few decades ago, was for gods and nobles and nobody else. Even writing, before the invention of the printing press, was a luxury for those who could pay for a scribe to painstakingly copy words onto parchment. Parchment, by the way, not being some hoity-toity word for paper, but a word for what happens when you slaughter, flay, and unhair a sheepskin before stretching it into, like, three pages of a book. Made a typo? Guess what, Mr. Scribe? We're going to have to kill another sheep. You. And isn't it a coincidence that really wild and creative art just started to happen after the materials for art got cheaper? Of course, there were masters of the past and almost every art imaginable, but the really mind-blowing works of literature, architecture, and the visual arts and performing arts architecture only started to explode once the production became feasible for anyone with a middle-class income. And when the poor and disenfranchised got a hold of art materials, forget about it. Now, hold on, Paul, hold on. Are you saying that being rich makes you bad at art? Or that needing rich patrons makes you bad at art? By no means! But but, but the fact that great wealth was a necessary catalyst for great art is a necessarily limiting factor. For instance, here are the steps between Michelangelo and Michelangelo's art. Number one, born at the right time. Number two, in the right city. Number three, the right apprenticeships. Number four, to the right patrons. Number five, the wrong patrons not cutting his head off. Number six, the rich and powerful telling him what we couldn't and couldn't do. 
number seven, etc. Whatever. Michelangelo's great. How many more Michelangelo's never got past those arbitrary steps? How many great and inventive works of art are missing from our lives because of coincidence? Oh, coincidence! I hate you! I'll tell you one thing that's missing. The first blockbuster movie was 1915's The Birth of a Nation, originally called The Klansman, if that tells you anything. It's an inventive, artistic work of brilliance. It's also deeply wrong and stupid about the history of race in America, and probably set back the cause of African American civil rights for who knows how many years by depicting the KKK as a heroic terrorist force. 101 years later, a black filmmaker working with the more affordable equipment of nowadays filmed a movie called The Birth of a Nation, same title, which depicts American race relations, same subject. Uh, from another terrorist perspective, Nat Turner, leader of a slave rebellion. While not a perfect example, the two films let us see that there are billions of untold stories, billions of possible narrative innovations, billions of possible masters and masterpieces that never got a chance to shine. So I had a car accident a few days ago. I'm still recovering from a painful injury, still trying to repair my faulty computer equipment, still managing charities and fundraisers and volunteers to help patch the holes in the country's increasingly ruptured and fragile safety net. And in the meanwhile, this whole Author's Dozen project has cost me a decent amount of time and money and has paid me almost nothing of material value. But, like, I still have time and money left over. That's pretty wild. That's something artists for thousands of years would have killed for. Something they might still kill for. Oh, oh, what was that? Okay, just stay calm and podcast. No one is coming to take you. Authors doesn't podcast. But seriously, how crazy is that? 40 to 50 hours per week on minimum wage and I can still afford the time and money to do a project that I love? that has practical and artistic and moral value to me, that has cool, cool, cool sound effects. <laughs> I am an artist. And have you heard of Vincent Van Gogh? Boy lived on bread alone in order to buy his paint and only sold one work in his lifetime. I'm not Van Gogh. That's not what I'm saying. But maybe you are. Yeah, you, podcast listener. You, too, could be a miserable artist unappreciated in your own time. Maybe you, too, could slave away on the hedonic treadmill with the goal of a strange, charismatic something dangling ever before your eyes like a carrot on a stick of infinite length. And that's the privilege unafforded to most people at most times. While we may whine about the inability of our work to be noticed, cared for, or rewarded in any way, at least we have the ability of pencil and paper. At least, listener, you have the material in your grasp to enact your vision, no matter what that vision may be. But beyond the entry cost, there's something far greater that applies to both rich and poor. It's the opportunity of failure. See, I don't care. Whether authors doesn't means anything to anyone, what it most certainly does not mean is millions of dollars and millions of disappointed fans. Whatever this experiment turns out to be, at least it was inexpensive enough a test. Have you noticed, dear listener, the incessant mewling in the air, the whining cry is this. 
There are too many sequels, too many original ideas, too many knockoffs of surefire things. There certainly are in the mainstream. That's because ever since the ability to film, paint, and write stuff became cheap, the intellectual property became the one thing a work of art that held any stock that was of any predetermined value. Well, Hollywood producer, you want to set yourself aside from little Susie What's-Her-Name filming movies with her iPhone? Well, you better set your art apart with things she can't possibly afford. Since the cameras aren't much different, maybe hire actors that everyone knows. Since the stories aren't much different, just slap your intellectual property right on there to assure an audience who, whether the movie is good or bad, will go to see whether they like it or not. But since you're spending all this money, how do you achieve a reasonable ROI? How are you going to regain all your sunk costs? Safety, that's how. Cowardly mundanity, tried and true sweetness with no hint of spice. Release your movie in all countries and offend none of them. Not only is cost a barrier to entry for interesting people, even after people get in the door, cost has a generally inverse relationship to artistic merit. You don't hate superhero movies, actually. You hate superhero movies that have to turn a profit on $300 million of budget. Talk less, smile more. Don't let them know what you're against or what you're for. Oh, glorious 2020. Oh, 2020, you harbinger of glory. You bring the high low and the low also low. But without the bloat, we all float on the same descending tide. Without the monstrous weight that riches and privilege bring, the shrunken monstrosity is seen for what it is. Exactly the same, if not worse, than what little Susie What's-Her-Name can film down the block. There is no worse time to be a rich artist with a leg up on the rest. There is no better time to be a poor connoisseur. The barriers are come down. The head starts are beheaded. Give your patronage, your assent, and your eyeballs in this critical moment to the innovators, the brave, and the spicy meatballs. My life has been made uncomfortable and interesting by this accident, by this year, by this experiment. For all you creatives out there, if you've got nothing to lose, then gamble it. For all you connoisseurs out there, the finer things in life are all gone from you. Get down here in the muck with the rest of us and try this new weird stuff. There's this indie concept called follow the fun. And basically what happens is if you're not locked into like a giant script where everything has been itemized and planned for months and months, if your publisher isn't waiting on like a specific number of copies sold, you're pretty much free to do anything. Like, say you're writing a novel about uh, Greek gods or something, and uh, it suddenly occurs to you when the character is sent off to this like training camp that actually the more interesting story is that what if this kid was in a cult? What if he knew for a fact that the cult was evil and bad, and he went to their like indoctrination thing and realized that, man, this is kind of great. Like, I want to live in this world, even though I know it's a lie, even though I know it like consumes people. There's nothing else in the world that does this for me, that itches this itch. Say you had this whole thing planned out. Well, you've still got the skeleton, but you can follow the fun. You can follow the thing that really like catches your eye. Now you got to be consistent about it. Once you find that fun, you got to like really grab onto it, strip everything else away. Now you sad, sad, poor sacks who have to friggin 
have billions of dollars behind everything that you do, well, I mean, I feel so sorry for you. And you're not allowed to play around and have fun the way that I am with Godforsaken, my next book. Is it way different than what I had planned for? Yes. Am I sad that I planned for it? Not at all. See, I said that wealth and, you know, money is generally inverse to quality. And that's only true up to a point. Because what you need first is to get in the door. What you need first is to survive and to be okay if you're going to take time and write something and be weird. You need freedom that costs can bring without the chains that costs bind you down with. So here's what I wish for you. I wish an accident for you. I wish mistakes for you. I wish that you would come upon something that you had not expected or planned for and that that thing would surprise you in the best way. Like a round, roly-poly, spicy meatball. Pizza. It's a spicy meatball. It's a pizza. It's a Italian. It's a Italian. It's a spicy pizza.